the City Quick Connect podcast is brought to you by the Municipal Association of South Carolina. Hey, everybody. This is Casey Field, your manager for municipal advocacy at the Municipal Association of South Carolina. Welcome to another edition of City Quick Connect podcast. Our version, well, yeah, our version, this episode especially, of what happened at the State House last week. And let me just tell you, it was a lot. So sit back and relax, maybe grab a hot a cup of hot tea, because this is really going to be good. We've got a lot to cover. I'd like to welcome back my partner in crime for you, Captain Roy, my friend, my colleague, the Director of Advocacy and Communications for the Municipal Association, Scott Slatton. Welcome. Or Slayton, as everybody calls you over there. Welcome, Scott. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Casey. It's a uh, pleasure to be here with you. And you know what? You can call me whatever you want to. I, right. It doesn't, I probably, doesn't hurt my feelings whatsoever. I, I probably have at some point. You know, Greg, Mayor Habib from Goose Creek, he says that, you know, it's pretty intense watching us work and watching the sausage get made, as he as he called it. So, Scott, last week, so let's let's just go back a little bit. The House and Senate returned to Columbia for two weeks. They passed the Sunny Die Resolution, which is an adjournment resolution, back in, I believe, uh, June, May or June, that governed when they could come back. They determined that these two, the last two weeks in September, were what they wanted to do when they wanted to return to Columbia to handle any pending legislation left. They needed to come back because 2020 was the end of a two-year legislative session, so any bills that did not get passed this session, the 2020 session, they are dead, and they have to be, if if the legislators choose to, reintroduced um, at the 2021 session. So legislators came back for two weeks. They adjourned last Thursday. The House adjourned last Thursday. The Senate adjourned last Wednesday after completing a lot of work in a very small amount of time. It was very fast, but I am just going to go ahead and say a lot of great forward motion, big wins for cities and towns. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, when they left back prior to the pandemic or, at you know, subsequent to finding that the pandemic was going to interrupt their session, right? we were all under the impression that they were going to come back specifically to to do something with Santee Cooper. Correct. But because not that of they all, had to, not that they had to, but they right. wanted to to get something done mm-hmm. on that. Yeah, I mean, their stated purpose was uh, to right. come back to deal with Santee Cooper and and probably the budget. And I've been that, Scott. I've that been told out not to be. I've been told that you pronounce Santee Cooper just like somebody that lives in Goose Creek. Who was that in Goose Creek? All of them? Um, I guess. Or some of them. I've just I was told that you you really pronounce Santi well, Cooper I'm, like it's supposed to be pronounced. It precisely, and just like uh, when you're in Clinton, it's not Clinton, it's Clinton. That's and right, where the where, tea uh, is sweet and the tea is silent. Yes, thank you, Mayor Randall. Uh, That's for, right for that That's right. that correction. Also, like we you like we like to say in Woodruff, it's not Bud Light Lime, it's Exactly. Exact. Perfect analogy. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about the budget and the Phase Two Cares Act first, and then let's go back. Let's go into the Big Five. 
I just made that up, but I feel like those are the big five issues that right. we want to cover. So the each body, each chamber had their own version of the distribution of Phase Two CARES Act funding. Remember, this is the federal funding that was given to the state of South Carolina to try to uh, mitigate pandemic, to help with pandemic relief for everybody. The House had a version, Senate had a version, they had a conference committee came together, and what came out of that? Most importantly for cities and towns, the, the second phase of funding includes $115 million for state agencies, for counties, cities, and for colleges, both public and private. That's the biggest uh, portion of uh, the funding that will be used to reimburse cities and towns for expenses that they have incurred up to date in response to the pandemic and until the end of 2020. In order right. to get that reimbursement, though, you've got to apply for it by uh, November the 15th of this year. That's a good uh, date you, to remember. Yep. November the 15th is the deadline for applying for coronavirus relief through the CARES Act for those expenses that you've incurred up until the end of this year. And, of course, there's hope that perhaps uh, there will be another round of funding that will come from the feds and it will be extended, but it's all talk. And with the national political scene the way it is, right. uh, n- nobody can reasonably predict what might happen there. So uh, right. we know we've got the $115 million allocated. Uh, not quite sure, uh, and I don't have it in front of me, and I apologize for not knowing specifically how much of that's allocated for cities and towns, but just know that there is funding available that you need to uh, apply for. I think it was $115 million was what they settled on. Was That's the, that double, was the total. Yeah, that yeah. was the total. That was the total for, uh, for everybody. state agencies. Yeah, state agencies, cities, and counties, how that, how it breaks down from there. I know we have yeah, it, but I don't, I don't have yeah, it in front of me right I don't now. have it in front of me either. Um, so then, so that, that we can check that off. Um, the next well, funding-related. Well, two, two other, one other thing that was – included in the CARES Act that's important to cities and towns is the waiver of the earnings cap for return-to-work employees who are, ret- who are retired and are and can come back if they're responding uh, to the pandemic. So it's public mm-hmm. safety, particularly public safety. So if uh, police officers, if uh, EMTs, nurses, those types of folks who retired and want to and, and and are being asked to come back to work, they are no longer well. They're not subject for the for the next little while to the ten thousand dollars earning cap that right. they are that they would be subject to under normal circumstances. So what that cap does is says if you've retired and you come back to work in the same job or a similar position with a public agency then you can earn up to $10,000 a year and still draw your retirement. But if you earn more than 10000 then you can't get both. You, can, mm-hmm. you, you won't get your you retirement. You can't get the salary and retirement. That's right. But, mm-hmm. but the CARES Act, the General Assembly, wisely said, no, we're going to waive that cap so that those retirees can come back and earn more than $10,000 and also continue to draw their retirement. So that's important. Okay. Uh, and they've extended that through uh, through next year, and we'll we'll just see if they have to continue to extend it. Right, right. So that that was the CARES Act. Right. 
Next, let's talk a little bit about the the budget that never was. So the House passed its version of the state budget back on schedule, late February, early March, sent it to the Senate Finance Committee, everything with, I might add, an absolutely unprecedented um, surplus that 1. we were looking at. 8, yeah, $1.8, $1.9 billion with a B, as in Which Bravo. insane. Yeah. So all, all that seems to be moving quite nicely. Then coronavirus. I feel like we keep going back to that. I'm so tired of saying coronavirus. We So that gets put on hold. The Senate Finance Committee has the budget, but they held work on that to come back and distribute money to DHEC to deal with, to do testing and contact tracing. They came to do the CARES funding. So they weren't, they didn't feel like they had to immediately do it because they passed a continuing resolution to continue funding state government. Right. Well, the plot thickened. So Senate Finance Committee meets back about early September, mid-September, and they come up with their version of the budget, right? Right. They Then the full Senate, when they come in, they adopt that committee amendment, and they send it to the House. The House had been very clear that they did not think that it was wise to uh, pass a budget. And also the governor. And the governor had said that as well. That's exactly right. So when the amended version of the budget from the Senate came to the House, they referred it back to committee, making a very pretty firm statement that that was going nowhere. And there it sat. And, and there it sat. is presumably dead unless some miracle happens between now and the election, which I don't know that anybody is – expecting that to take place. We are now governed by a continuing resolution. And yes. the details of that continuing resolution are were in last week's dome. You can see what that does to cities and towns and how that affects you moving forward. So when you start thinking about future budgets or spending um cuts, you can see where see where that'll end up. Most importantly for cities and towns, it holds the local government fund at the same funding levels as the fiscal year 20 budget. So the, so the regular fiscal year that ended state budget that ended June 30th of 2020, whatever you got in local government funds in that July 1 to June 30, 2020 budget, state budget, is what you need to expect is, is exactly what you're going to get in local government funds until at least June 30 of 2021. Correct. That is correct. Right. So with the CARES Act budget, let's talk about the big five. Okay. What do you want to start with first? Um, let's start with the, the firefighter cancer bill. Yes. 10, Senate Bill 1071 that establishes a cancer health benefit plan for firefighters. As a former firefighter, give me your perspective. Well, what the bill does is provide a a policy. It provides insurance coverage similar to an AFLAC-type policy to firefighters mm-hmm. who, who 
are diagnosed with cancer. And similar to the PTSD funding that has been in the budget to fund PTSD services for first responders, this is a similar kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the important part, particularly for cities and towns uh, fiscally, is that it keeps it, – it, it's an effort to try and keep these types of claims out of the workers' comp system, which is right. a benefit not only to the city and town as an employer, but it's also a benefit to the firefighter, the individual firefighter. So they've set the parameters for how this program would work, but unfortunately the General Assembly did not fund it. But that, but our expectation and our goal for the new uh, legislative session that's going to come up in January, it'll start in January, is to see that funding is dedicated to that program. So the framework's in place, the rules right. are in place, the parameters under which you can take advantage of it are in place. Now it just needs money to uh, to make it to to make it be. So uh, we're proud of that. Melissa Harrell on our staff worked on that bill and worked with our uh, risk management services staff, uh, particularly our director Heather Reichert on that bill, and uh, we're we're proud to have been a part of it. And uh, we're again we're going to work really hard to see that funding gets dedicated to that next year. Absolutely. Where do you want to go next? Let's talk about. Let's see. You the want to small do cell small bill. cell, yeah, small yeah. cell and broadband. Those kind of yeah. travel together, so like we can talk about them. H forty two sixty two. I'm sure everybody knows we have been working on this bill for quite some time. The cities of Charleston and Myrtle Beach had a had a real big role um, in negotiating this bill. So Scott, tell us a little bit about what the bill does. Both both of these bills were were last minute last week. They both. Yeah. They both passed at the ninth hour and even caused the House to come in a day that they kind of hadn't planned on coming in, but they did to to finish off the year with passing these two bills. So talk a little yeah. bit about small cells. Yeah, so so small cells, small wireless facilities they're called, formally right. called. Small cells. Small cell, small cell wireless facilities deployment act is the <laughs> title of the bill. Yeah. So for those um, in the in, back. Particularly in larger cities across the state or places where lots of people gather at one time, we've all had the problem of cell phone capacity being uh, limited and, and not being able to get a signal or whatever. So like being at a game in, at Williams-Brice. Exactly. So right. uh, what, what telecom companies have done is come up with, rather than the big, tall, uh, monopole or, or lattice structure cell towers that, that are so controversial, Rather than building, trying to build more of those, what the telecoms have done is said, okay, we're going to deploy lots of smaller antennas uh, in that are lower to the ground, and, and we're going to try and hang them on existing infrastructure and poles. And, of course, that caused a lot of problems for uh, cities and, and towns and, and uh, utilities, perhaps, that where they wanted to hang this infrastructure. And so the small cell bill was introduced to, to bring some order to that chaos and to bring some standards across the state, make it more predictable for for the telecoms, and, of course, make it easier for, hopefully, for cities and towns to uh, exert some control over the placement and the look mm-hmm. of these things. Because, you know, your your regular small cell can be not an attractive thing. And, and right. in your historic districts and in design districts and places where you want to have a, a better aesthetic, these things can be out of place and, and look ugly. So, the Municipal Association 
worked with AT&T and, and the other telecoms uh, most through most of 2019, the 2019 session. And mm-hmm. we, as the association, got to a neutral position on the bill. We were we were okay with what, what it had. But City of right. Myrtle Beach and the City of Charleston said, hey, you know, we've got some specific, unique situations that we want we would like to try and address in the bill, and we're going to go to them and, and, and negotiate some more. And we said, hey, that sounds great. What's good for Myrtle Beach, what's good for Charleston is good for everybody else. So they negotiated more on the bill. We all got happy with it, and then it just didn't go anywhere when it was in the Senate. Uh, it was in, it sat in, it got a subcommittee hearing and the Senate Judiciary Committee, but it never got a full committee hearing. So it was basically dead for a long time until, as you said, Casey, the last couple of hours of the session, uh, it was right. recalled from the Judiciary Committee, right. passed out of Judiciary, and then uh, the House took it up the next day uh, on the day that they actually planned not to come back. So, right. uh, we're, we're pleased with that. What I will say, uh, the, the bill did get a couple of minor amendments. Well, they're not minor. Got some a couple of amendments that were added to it at the last hour that were to that were put in place to make the bill compliant with a, a Ninth Circuit Federal Court of right. Appeals ruling that uh, that was made in August, I believe. And they were actually good. It was a good amendment, good rulings. It provided with provided cities and towns with even more flexibility, more discretion in dictating how these things would look in particular districts if if they wanted to put some more regulations in terms of aesthetics in particular on them. So what I would say, and the bill will become effective once the governor signs it, so what I would suggest to all cities and towns across the state, uh, particularly if they expect or they've been contacted by the telecoms about small sales, they need to right. uh, take a look at the tenants of the bill, get your municipal attorney to take a look at it, uh, right. and and adjust your zoning ordinances immediately to uh, make Allow sure for the, that, for the bill. that yeah yeah to make sure that you know when a telecom comes they can say oh well you know. We're going to do it under your old rules, not the uh, rules that are that are uh, current with the bill. Right. If, if, you're, if your municipal attorney needs help with that, have them reach out to our general counsel, Eric Scheidel. Scheidel was uh, was a, a uh, an integral piece of ensuring that the bill was uh, was in good shape and, and was good for cities and towns. So he can help. He knows that thing inside and out and can help people uh, make interpretations. So that's the that's the small cell bill forty two sixty two. Perfect. And so then before small cell was passed, the senators amended a bill related to the expansion of broadband. That that bill, it was it was negotiated until the last minute and definitely has room for change. So while they wanted to go ahead and pass a bill, I think we, you know, in the future they're probably going to look at it again to see how you know, things are going with it, but give us a brief explanation of the broadband bill. Yeah, so the broadband bill, what it, it, it essentially, in my view, codified what what, what was already happening, and that right. is this. Electric cooperatives, rural electric cooperatives in particular across the state, have been getting into the broadband service provider business. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been stringing fiber on their infrastructure and then lighting it through subsidiary organizations of the co-ops. 
And so essentially what this bill did was make that legal. You know, there could be an argument that it wasn't legal when they did it, but there was no law that said they couldn't do it. And so under right. home rule, uh, and of course electric co-ops aren't all necessarily uh, public agencies, but under under the home rule concept you can you what's not prohibited is presumed to be uh, constitutional until it's until it's not so the electric cooperatives can now specifically get into the the broadband business they can string the infrastructure string the fiber along their uh, poles and they can do that within their service ter- territory and up to 2 miles outside of their territory mm-hmm. and then through what's called a broadband affiliate uh, they can then light that fiber and become the uh, the service provider themselves, or they can string that fiber and then partner with a, a, a third party service provider to light mm-hmm. it. So there's several ways to uh, to get that done. Cities and towns, uh, particularly uh, electric cities and towns, are pretty well positioned to be able to do the same thing. And and we have. We've been in touch with the, the the senator, Senator Thomas Alexander, who shepherded this bill, and right. uh, we've made inquiries with him, and, and we've had discussions, and he's agreed to say, yeah, let's let's take a look at to see how perhaps we can ex- further expand broadband across right. the state, not only using electric cities, but perhaps um, other cities across the state. The city of Newberry is a, is an example that. While they're an electric city, they strung fiber. They can do that. They strung it, and then they they partnered with a third party mm-hmm. um, to light but it. They were to light it, but they were in a you know being an electric city. Wouldn't it be great if they could also light it if they weren't able to find that third party? There's going to be some mm-hmm. of our electric cities, uh, particularly in really rural parts of the state, where they might not be able to find that third party service provider to partner with so they would they would we want them to be able to have the same authority as the cooperatives to create that affiliate organization to light that fiber that they uh, that they string themselves and and scott it's the rural areas and even urban areas there are areas in the city of columbia that um are are, are downtown that don't have access to internet so it's, a, it's um, amazing it's, to think it's, that it's that's rural but it's urban areas that's right that really yeah. um that, that we need this. We need this for students. We need this for, for everybody. So I think that was a good step forward. And yep. we're going to keep keep marching it forward. Absolutely. Well, we're down to two, which yes. are the two biggest ones I think we could we can talk about. Sure. Let's so, talk about Senate Bill 217, a little flexibility, especially in light of the sunny day flood that happened in Charleston last week. Yeah. Senate Bill 217 is the uh, – we, we call it the local flexibility bill. What this bill does is allow – specifically list stormwater and drainage projects as an eligible expense for the use of hospitality and hospitality taxes, local hospitality taxes. And, Scott, um, let, me, let me say this. This yep. came from – regional advocacy meetings from people attending regional advocacy meetings and telling us their desperate need for flexibility with revenue with revenue that they already have. Yeah. So under the existing hospitality and accommodations tax laws, local hospitality and accommodations tax right. laws, 
you can spend money on drainage and flooding projects within tourism-related areas, okay? Mm-hmm. Even though it's not specifically listed, you can right. you can spend it for that. Okay. But but for larger projects where you might need to bond that money out, mm-hmm. bond attorneys told us that they could not approve of bonding the funds out, those revenues out for the for that purpose if it wasn't listed specifically in state law. Right. So right. this bill solves two problems. A, it provides that flexibility that we heard about that was needed at the regional advocacy meetings. And it also right. provides it also provides that explicit authority that the bond attorneys were were seeking to allow to allow them to move forward with, with approving uh, bonding out hospitality tax money. Now, the bill originally started out as allowing for the use of a state and local accommodations taxes and hospitality taxes, but mm-hmm. uh, we heard from the South Carolina Parks and Recreation and Tourism Department. We heard from the hotel and restaurant folks who said, "Look, you know, we we don't we don't want you to disrupt the accommodations tax funding of." promotion and projects that we're working on that bring people to our state to put those heads those heads in bed. So mm-hmm. um, knowing that that they had the the juice to potentially stop that bill right. from moving forward, we said, okay, what about if we just if we just restricted it to hospitality tax? And so mm-hmm. Representative Satilli, mayor, former mayor, Isle of Palms mayor of Satilli, uh, uh, introduced an amendment to restrict it to just hospitality tax. And so it got out of the Senate, and we amended it in the House. Now, when it was on the House floor, and prior to it coming up, we got wind that there were some there were some House members who weren't real hip to this idea and didn't like right. the bill. Right. So we, and so as a result, those House members, then sixteen House members said we want to object to this bill moving forward on the House floor, which stopped. Right. It. Essentially, right, right, and, and this so, is all, and that's a this, procedure that House members can use to slow down legislation that that's right. they don't like or is controversial or they want further debate on because longer periods of debate are allowed on the con- when the bill is on the contested calendar. And this was last Tuesday, which meant, which was at that time the second to the last day of the session. So right, and I'll, the, and I'll be real honest when that happened. I I called time of death on that bill. <laughs> right. I mean, I did it. You did. See, you I did. Felt, you, you, I mean, I you, called time of death because I was pretty. I was I was pretty convinced at that point that we were that we were cooked. That we were cooked. Yeah. But as our advocacy team does. That's right. We we persisted. We persisted, <laughs> and so Melissa Harrell, who was shepherding that bill, who was running that bill for us, she, in addition to the work that she'd already done. She said, okay, let's start reaching out to locals in, in cities and towns across the state and get them to contact these people who put their name on the bill and ask them, tell them, ask them to remove their name, number one, and then tell them and answer any questions that they have and, and make them feel good that this is a good bill for, for cities and towns. And so right. we set about doing that on the fly in the lobby yeah. and back at the office. And lo and behold, the reaction and the help that we got from local officials across the it was, state. It was incredible. 
pulled all but two of those people off of that bill. And you don't, you needed five. You only need five to put a bill on the contested right. calendars. That, that's so we right. had to get, what, 11 off? Is we had to get it. Right? Yeah, we had to get 11. No, we had to get okay. 12 off. Had to get 12, 12 right. We had to get below five. And so we got all but uh, two of them to take their names off. One of them wasn't even in the chamber. He had put his right. name on it and then left. He was gone for the day. So you weren't. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give a special shout out because, um, I contacted Mayor Steve McDougal to help us with, help us with a member of his legislative delegation. And not only did he answer my call, he immediately got to work and then reported back on the answer that his legislator gave. And his legislator removed her name from that bill. And I, I very much, we, we always talk about, Scott, how we're, we, you have a legislative team, an advocacy team at the association, but that team is really all cities and towns across the state, and there's no way that bill would have passed without the advocacy work of all cities and towns. Well, that's exactly right. And and I reached out to uh, Ryan Fabry, who's the town administrator in Polly's Island, that's because because right. his house member, uh, even prior to the the request for debate being made, he had expressed uh, you know problems with the bill, and and I called right. Ryan and said or texted Ryan and said or I called him, talked to him. And said, "Hey Ryan, can you reach out to uh, to your house member?" He did. He texted back and forth with me with a couple of questions, and and we never heard a peep out of him. Yeah. So and and, and, and that's, Ryan, that's how it's done. You know, and Ryan texted me back and he said, "Hey, you know, thanks so much." I thanked him because he's the one that got right. it done. Absolutely. But he texted back and he said, "Thanks for reaching out. I had you not reached out to me, I would not have known that this was a problem because." His house member, in previous conversations, he said, told him that he didn't have a problem with the bill. Well, so, you know, I don't, so, I don't so, need to defend that, but right. when they get together, when, when, when house members, Senate members get on the floor, you know, some another house member might raise a question and that right. they've never thought of, and they kind of stir sure. each other up. Yeah, that, that's true. But but I guess my point is, when we, you know, when we reach out to you, with a, a, a an ASAP request, um, right. there's a purpose. We're not reaching out to everybody because we don't right. need we don't need to get right. everybody. We just need specific no, that's people. Right. That's right. But your willingness to act immediately, and I talked to uh, I talked to another uh, administrator in the Upstate who tried to get his house member off, and and he was one of the two who wouldn't come off. But but at the very least, he he was making that effort. But the point is, our Elected officials, our city officials, our municipal officials need to understand, and we repeat it all the time, how valuable their voice and contact is with these House members and these senators. It's, I know a lot of people think, well, it's not going to make any difference. That is dead wrong. It makes a it's huge difference. A and huge I'll tell you difference. what, Scott, what else makes a difference is the level of involvement of the city, the elected officials and staff with the association. Because if you're involved and you're, you know, you're going to trainings and you're getting to know staff, then we're going to get to know you. And then yep. we know when to call you and yep. who you know and how you can help. And that makes that team work even more beneficial and even, Absolutely. you know, better outcomes. So that's, this is a great, this is, this is a great lesson on so many levels. We're going to have to use this along with the business license bill, spoiler, in our, in our Municipal Elected Officials Institute class Absolutely. advocacy, I think. 
So because they're so two the, great great examples. All right, so, great segue. Well, Here we go. Well, one one more story, real quick. So okay. so two seventeen gets out of the house, and the yeah. primary sponsor of the bill in the Senate is uh, uh, Senator Marlon Kimson from Charleston. That's right. Because and, and so because the House had had amended that bill to eliminate accommodations taxes, we right. wanted to make sure that Senator Kimson was okay with that. So Melissa Harrell reached out to. Uh, some folks in the city of Charleston to reach out to Senator Kempson to make sure that he was good with that change. He was. So when it got over to the Senate, the Senate concurred with the changes that the House made, and boom, right. it's off to the government. And and that also happened to the firefighter bill. That's um, right. You know, that, there had been changes made to that. There was a concurrence, and it, it went right on. So kudos to Melissa for uh, for getting that thing done. She's been working on it for a long time, and with all of y'all's help, um, oh gosh, um, absolutely. We were we were able to get that one across the finish line. Okay, on to the next one. The grand finale: business license standardization. Yes. The House bill, bill was originally it was originally introduced at the beginning of the 2019 session. Is that correct? Uh, actually, it was at the end of the 2019 session. But okay. This is a but this is a. Some version, some attack on business licensing has been introduced for probably the last five years. Yes, in some form or fashion. That's right. This particular, this latest attack was introduced. Uh, well, you know, maybe it was. Like mid exactly no, Yeah. I tell you what, Scott. It was because it, there was a subcommittee hearing on the bill at the end of right. 2019. Right. With the and it made the the subcommittee chairman made it clear that there were no action would be taken, but he wanted all the parties to get together. Exactly, and we and we did that first in October of last year. So that that bill, there was another 2019 bill. A lot of these bills were 2019 bills, and I'll tell you what, that's an example of how the legislative process does not. I mean, I know we just said all these bills got passed in a matter of two hours, but they had been. Worked on, amended, negotiated, compromised for years. Sometimes a year, sometimes two years. So it doesn't happen overnight. It can, but it doesn't happen overnight. And a really good bill gets vetted through every process and every stakeholder comes to the table. And I think this business license bill is an example of how when you have a good, really good negotiating partner and, you know, you negotiate in good faith, with both parties, you get a great bill. Absolutely, and that's exactly what we had in this case. We had a great partner in the Manufacturers Alliance, the South Carolina Manufacturers Alliance, who represents a, a huge business sector here in the state, right. and uh, and we worked we worked very well with them uh, throughout the entire process for you know well over a year, and right. uh, we've all we've all gotten to a, a very good outcome. So the bill kind of got to a point where there were two different versions of it in the House and Senate. And so a a conference committee was appointed to figure out how we were going to, what, you know, what end we were going to come to within the two different versions. And that all happened Wednesday evening, last Wednesday evening. Is that, is that correct? Yes. So, you know, throughout the entire day on Wednesday, well, let's back up. On Tuesday, the the bill received a – it was amended and received a second reading in right. the Senate. Okay? Right. Bills have to get three readings. 
So that meant that the bill uh, got third reading on Wednesday, which meant that it had to go over to the House so that the House could do whatever they wanted to do with it. And then send it, they'd have to send it back to the Senate. I mean, you have to go back and forth. And so right. in, terms okay. of, in, ter- in terms of time, we were running out of time, particularly since we knew that the Senate did not intend to come back to town on Thursday. Thursday, on that Thursday. right. So um, and throughout Scott, the day, let's, let's just be honest. There were several times where a senator came out and said, this, this bill's dead. We're done. Yeah. I never senator, called time of death on this one, though. I would like – for you to know that I never well, called time of death. Look, I called time of death on on forty four thirty one multiple times <laughs> over did. the course of of those two weeks. That's and right. and on Tuesday I called time of death at least twice and maybe <laughs> three did. times. You did. And but, I at one point I told you I said wait wait I'm getting I'm getting communication that we have an organ donor. Let's <laughs> let, we we're gonna bring them back. As I as I've pointed out, it's it, it it ultimately ended up being like Glenn Close jumping out of the bathtub after Michael right. Douglas had strangled her to death in uh, Fatal oh, Attraction. Oh, Fatal you Attraction! You're really yeah. showing your age on that one, Platt. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. <laughs> so anyway, the, the bill. So on Wednesday, I didn't call time of death. We just kept right. working. We did. We just kept working. And here here was the problem. So the 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 crux of the of the problem with getting that thing moving and getting it passed quickly was the the third party collector collection companies across the state who are contract with cities and towns to help them uh, find businesses that are aren't compliant with the business license ordinance the uh, the manufacturers alliance the state chamber of commerce the real estate agents the uh, small business lobby all right. They, they do not like these companies and, and some of, and some of these companies tactics, okay? Mm-hmm. And so the, they wanted to basically, they wanted to regulate them, but they also wanted to prohibit them from being able to charge cities and towns based on a contingency fee or a success basis, okay? Right. And so that was the big hang up for the business community on signing off on this thing and greasing the skids and letting it get through. So right. senators who wanted this bill, who wanted to see this yeah. bill pass, were, would come out with proposed amendments, with proposed changes. And, and in particular, uh, Senator Vincent Shaheen from, from Camden was adamant that these, these yeah. companies should, should be able to continue to charge however they want to because in South Carolina we believe in, you know, freedom and liberty right. and, and in good business. So. Other senators were coming out trying to negotiate with the business lobby. The Municipal Association's position on this issue was this. We wanted to, we wanted to maintain cities and towns access to these services, but we did not have a position on how they should get paid. That's, uh, right. that should be, right. that's up to, up to the city, the city and the business, and, the business. And, right. and, and ultimately the General Assembly. Mm-hmm. And so we were, not, we did not have a dog in this particular fight, but, uh, the State Chamber of Commerce, the South Carolina Chamber of Commerce in particular, was adamant that these mm-hmm. contingency fees be completely outlawed, and they were willing to not get a bill at all That's right. if, if this contingency fee stayed in the bill. That's and right. so ultimately the business lobby decided, and enough senators and, and certainly plenty of House members, actually all but one, uh, that voted, and all but one in the Senate voted right. – 
to approve and, and to pass this bill with further restrictions on those third parties' uh, ability to um, reach out to businesses who are not compliant and uh, the information that they have and the circumstances under which they can charge a contingency fee. But mm-hmm. it, it took it took particularly the leadership of the Manufacturers Alliance right. to to break through that impasse and ultimately wind up with 95% of the loaf that we all wanted rather right. than insisting on the the entire loaf and risking getting none of it. Right, um, and starting so over from scratch in 2021. That That's exactly right. And I'll tell you, and I told all of them multiple times over the course of, of the last uh, several months and, and on, on Tuesday and Wednesday in particular, and I said this in front of, all of them in front of Senator Ronnie Cromer from Newberry, who was who mm-hmm. was the, the primary person on this bill, in a meeting Tuesday afternoon in the Senate cloakroom. Look, you know, if you're going to sacrifice the entire bill in deference to this one thing, and you you say we're going to come back, we can come back and try again in January. The coalition that we had put together between the cities and towns right. and the business community was very fragile. And right. it, 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 it had already come under a little bit of attack late in the mm-hmm. game on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know, if, if we don't take the opportunity that we have now, yes, we can try and put this coalition back together in January. But my concern is between now and then and even after January, there are going to be other organizations, other entities who will in, try to inject themselves into this process and fracture that coalition and we'll end 100%. up right back where we are. Yep. So, um, you know, I hope that that resonated a little bit uh, with some I'm folks. Sure it and yep. it ultimately resonated with enough of these um, business uh, these business groups that, right. uh, that 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 they agreed to agreed to the amendment and the compromise language with regard to the third parties that was needed to get the bill passed. So. And I'll, I'll tell you, I can't say enough good things about the Manufacturers Alliance and their leadership just because they they really, they looked out for all businesses, not just manufacturers. That's right. They really, um, they, they looked out for everyone. They came to the table with suggestions, with language, and were honest and always up front with things, you know, I cannot deal with that. And we came to the table and said we cannot deal with that, and we we got a great bill working with House and Senate leadership with the committee yeah. chairman, and House was and Senate a, staff were were key. Yeah, and, House and, and Senate staff were huge. Fantastic. It was it was really just a it was a win win for businesses and cities, and we can put this issue to bed legislatively now. You know we and and Scott, you started. Last week, the day the bill passed, you began putting together staff, the staff coalition to begin to implement this. Yeah, at the association, we're already working through providing guidance to cities and towns on how to implement the bill. I had a conversation with a finance director who said, look, this bill, and I have to say this, this bill is not going to make it easier for us to administer the business license tax. And I said, well, <laughs> that wasn't the point of the bill. The point right. of the bill was to, right. to, number one, to make it easier for, for, for businesses to, 
to renew their business license tax and to uh, and to pay their business license tax. And B, and the most important point about this bill was to put business licensing behind us for the foreseeable future and threats to the business license tax as a revenue source for cities and towns, put that behind us for the foreseeable future. That's what we got, despite the the potential short-term hassle of implementing this new, what will be a new law. Um, That hassle. The the long-term benefit. That, yeah, that hassle pales in comparison to the to the long-term ongoing threats and potential loss of the business right. license tax as a revenue source. So Yeah, I was uh, going to say, that, that pales in comparison to some of the bills that we have had to fight off so vigorously that completely eliminated it altogether. Yeah, this, this is a, we, we were playing a long game here, and uh, I, yeah. I think we've succeeded, and, and hopefully um, – Hopefully everyone will eventually come to our members in particular will come to see uh, the benefit of what what what's what they've helped what they've accomplished. Absolutely, I would say job well done, Scott Flatten. Well, the credit does not uh, the credit doesn't accrue to any one person. You were a vital part of that, Casey, from from the beginning. Your strategy and tactics and execution of those were uh, key in in getting this thing done. Uh, Melissa Harrell, uh, Joni Nickel, Erica Wright, even though Joni and Erica are new to the staff, they played a, 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 an important part little, yeah, absolutely. in getting these things, getting all these things done. And uh, I'm very proud of, very proud of the whole team. Uh, you know, I'm sure people who are listening are probably going to ask, well, what, what do we got to do? How are we going to comply with this thing? Right. The Municipal Association is working, uh, we're, we're having meetings right now as we speak. On developing guidance and and helping and figuring out how to help cities and towns comply with the provisions of the law. The good news is uh, that we have until January the first of 2022 to comply with this uh, comply with what this this new law, and uh, so that gives us some time. But 14 months sounds like a long time. It's really not, and we are right. very cognizant of that. As as you just said, I was thinking about that as soon as I walked out. Of the state house uh, that That's night, right. uh, when, last last Wednesday night. Well, that was so, as we were on the phone. That was the second thing you told me. The first thing you told me was we got to make sure this gets signed and not vetoed. <laughs> and then you're like, then we got to figure out how to implement. And I was like, uh, did my kids eat dinner? I can't remember. I've been so jacked up about watching this and working on this bill. Are they even still at the house? I don't know. Well, as the uh, as the cynical pessimist on staff here, um, right. I'm. I'm never, I, I don't ever, or I rarely allow myself the opportunity to be even remotely happy or pleased. So right, right. That's that's why I was I was thinking. My, I'm always trying to figure out what 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 could go wrong next. So that's right, that's right. So, so but, that's you know so, so that's where we we began covering our bases immediately. So yeah, <laughs> feeling, <laughs> feeling pretty good about everything. So feeling so we got good. a. But we've got a lot of work to do. You know, we, we caught the car, right? We're the dog that caught the car. So now we've Absolutely. got a lot of work we do here on staff, and we're going to work very closely with our cities and towns, elected officials and staff members over the next uh, number of months, over the next 14 months, to make sure that everybody can comply right. with this thing. We'll be issuing guidance. We'll be issuing um, information to you as soon as we make it available. That's can't right. give you any timelines. Can't give you any promises on dates or anything like that. But just know that we are working and we will be in touch with you as soon as as we 
formulate a plan and uh, start rolling out information to you. And Scott, it'll be very individualized and it, this is not a situation where we're going to say, well, we've passed the bill. Good luck. It's going to be no. a very personal, very individualized uh, plan. So yeah, you'll um, hear, you're going to hear, you'll hear from Melissa Harrell on our staff. You're going to hear from Caitlin Cochran, who's our uh, collections programs manager. You're going to hear, hear from your field services manager, Jeff Stacker, Charlie Barano. You'll probably, you might hear from Eric Seidel, our general counsel, Eric Buds, our deputy executive director, our executive director, right. Todd uh, Glover, potentially our chief operating officer, uh, Jake Broom. You're going to hear from a lot of folks who are going to be responsible for uh, helping you, helping cities and towns across the state put this thing in. Would you, would you call it a multidimensional approach? Yeah. Yeah, so not only do we have to, will we have to adjust municipal ordinances, but we're also going to have to get uh, municipal staff training on how to use the online payment portal. Uh, that's a right, big that's element right. that business, the business really wanted. This this uh, this portal will allow any business anywhere in the state to pay all, to renew to renew all of their business license taxes to all of the cities and towns where they do business and in one place. They can, they'll calculate, the, the, the portal will calculate their tax in each city based on each city's different business license tax rates. It'll calculate the tax for them. They make, it'll total it for them. They'll make one payment at once at the bottom of the screen. And then the payments to the five cities where they do business will go directly to those cities. A hundred percent of the payment, the credit card processor, will charge a small convenience fee, and then the portal will also have the capabilities of accepting, doing ACH transactions, online checks or electronic checks, if you will, which should be should help reduce that convenience fee perhaps, but I'm not a technical, I'm not the technical expert on that, but those, that's going to have to take place at the same time, that tr- the training on that software is going to have to take place at the same time as uh, the the work that municipal councils will have to be doing on their ordinances, but again, we are preparing to help help everyone with that and uh, and get that accomplished. Scott, I would say that that was a phenomenal end to one of the most odd, unbelievable sessions that I've ever been a part of, and I've been doing this since 2001, I think. So it, it's it's been amazing, but the cities and towns should be proud of what we all together, municipal association and cities and towns all together got accomplished. And I can't say thank you enough to our mayors, our council members, our managers, administrators, clerks, finance officers, stormwater folks, IT people, everybody that works in cities and towns had a part in all of this successful legislation passing to move our cities and towns forward and in turn moving our state forward. Well said. If anybody has any questions, you could go to our website. Scott, what's that web address again? www.masc.sc. For further information, please monitor your email. We will be emailing out information on business licensing, flexibility, and all of this, um, all of these potentially new laws uh, once they get signed in the near future. As always, thank you for listening and talk to you next time. The City Quick Connect podcast is one of several ways the Municipal Association keeps you informed of the opportunities and issues impacting South Carolina cities and towns. Learn more at www. 
masc.sc and stay up to date with the association's latest happenings on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. <laughs>